0: You're listening to the Monocle Daily, first broadcast on the 20th of January 2023 on Monocle 24. Germany continues to equivocate about sending tanks to Ukraine. A wrap-up of the week in Davos and a gauging of excitement levels vis-a-vis Madonna's upcoming tour. I'm Andrew Muller. The Monocle Daily starts now. Hello and welcome to the Monocle Daily, coming to you from our studios here at Midori House in London. I'm Andrew Muller. It's Friday, so it's our weekly in-house, well, mostly daily, in which anything can happen. I'll be joined by Monocle's Fernando Augusto Pacheco and Steph Changu, and our team who have been at Davos all week. Plus, a conversation with Latvian MP Rihards Kols in London on his way back from a visit to Kiev, where he met Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Stay tuned. All that and more coming. coming up right here on the Monocle Daily. This is the Monocle Daily. I'm Andrew Muller, and we'll start with today's meeting at Ramstein Air Base in Germany of defence ministers to discuss further military aid to Ukraine. It will have been quite the welcome for Germany's new defence minister, Boris Pistorius. There is undisguised frustration among Ukraine's allies with Germany's dithering over whether to send Ukraine its Leopard 2 battle tanks or allow other Leopard operators, especially Finland and Poland, to do so. I'm joined for more on this by the the Ukrainian journalist Maharita Varadovska, who is in the west of Ukraine, um, Maharita, what's your sense of how frustrated Ukraine's government is getting uh, with Germany's vacillating on this one?
1: Hello, Andrew. Um, I think I can I can tell you that we are pretty frustrated, and the government especially, because as you know, Zelensky is talking to the partners days and nights, asking. Almost begging for tanks because they are very um, important for us today in the front line, and um, I think a lot of a lot of experts and politicians they actually bet on Ramstein today. They they thought it would it would end in success, but now it's obvious we're gonna have uh, a lot of support, but not those things that we need the most. I mean, as
0: far as it's possible to tell from what Ukrainian leaders and Ukrainian military leaders are saying, what kind of difference would the tanks make? Uh,
1: it's just, um, it's just the thing that we need, uh, as as I understand, and as I read from the media and hear from experts, the thing with tanks is that, you know, that Russians are going to have mobilization again. And. It's quite a lot of them. So they have a lot of Soviet Union weapons, of course. So we have almost everything except the tanks that are really crucial for us. And then they can definitely make a difference on front line for our uh, soldiers because that's the only thing they lack. It's, it's uh, It's kind of the thing that we actually don't have now.
0: It's been a, a, I know, a recurring concern for Ukraine's government since Russia invaded last February about keeping um, its allies together, about maintaining a united front. Do you get any sense that there is worry among Ukraine's government that the resolve of some of its European allies could falter? I mean, I think it is important to note that it's not like Germany is not helping. Germany, in fact, uh, is the fourth biggest provider of military aid to Ukraine so far and is about to send a Patriot missile system and 40 infantry fighting vehicles.
1: Yeah, sure. Of course, we get a lot of help and we can't tell that Germany doesn't help us. But the thing is that we've been talking about um, in particular uh, Leapot tanks for many weeks by now and uh, we get a lot of promises at one time and then we hear something that about go- German government need to wait all the pros and cons, which is quite strange uh, position from the from the partner. Don't you think so? <laughs> it's just given us a lot of hope at one point and then a lot of frustration at another point. So it's just of course, of course we have a lot of support and uh, we we see that the whole world is trying to help us and actually help helping. But again, tents is something that we definitely don't have and it could turn the front line in different way and could help us to counterattack with the huge power.
0: There was a very sobering statement made today by General Mark Milley, the chairman of the United States Joint Chiefs of Staff. He says he thinks it will be difficult for Ukraine to take back all of its territory this year. Um, He is therefore thinking of at least another year of this conflict. Um, It's been extraordinary, I think, for the rest of the world to watch the the resilience, um, the courage and the ingenuity of Ukraine's people these last 11 months. Do you feel like people, though, are braced for this conflict to last a while longer yet?
1: This is a very difficult question. And personally, I can tell you that I start to understand, of course, it's it's going to take more than one year for us to uh, have back all our territories, especially when talking about Crimea. I think the first thing we need to... Talk about is that we need to go back to the to the situation that was before twenty fourth of February, at least. And uh, if to if to talk about the statement that was made by you, say sure, it shocked a lot of people. I think because our mm, um, main investigator of Ukraine, Kirill Budanov, the head of the Investigative Office of Ukraine, he he said many months ago, that by April, we would um, have back Crimea, which sounds fantastic now, right? And uh, I think that a lot of people had hope, but it's obvious we need some time. And uh, especially if we had those tanks, we could counterattack successfully in spring. But we can't now because we don't know when when the hell we're going to have them.
0: Maharita Varadovska in Ukraine, thank you for joining us. And for a longer contemplation of Germany's reluctance, tune in to the Foreign Desk tomorrow at midday UK time or whenever you like after that, wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. You're listening to the Monocle Daily on Monocle 24. Now, all this week, as regular listeners will know, we have had a team at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Carlotta Ribello, Tom Webb and Marcus Hippie, they join now to reflect on this year's summit Over to you, Carlotta.
2: Thanks, Andrew. Indeed, it is the last day here at the World Economic Forum. It's been a few hours since everything has wrapped up and it's quite exciting to actually see uh, the whole uh, of the summit be dismantled right before our eyes. I'm here, of course, with the Monocle team on the ground. That's Monocle's Tom Webb and Monocle's Marcus Hippie. Hello to you both.
3: Hello, hello. Hi.
2: I guess let's start with uh, today. Today was the last day, just a half day here to sum things up. Uh, Marcus, what did you take from uh, this morning's sessions and, of course, we did a live show as well.
3: Well, if I talk about the live show first, I think the interesting thing was to hear from a fellow journalist, Tsai, Sung's deputy editor-in-chief, Thomas Seifert, who was talking about what things really made a difference and also what was happening outside of the venue. And he said that no breakthrough breakthroughs were made, but at the same time positive discussions, and he was emphasising the importance of meeting people face to face. And I think everyone can agree that that is one of the most important things about this web gathering, that you get those world leaders, all these activists, all these experts, getting together, discuss these issues facing the world at the moment, trying to find solutions. But I think there is a fair bit of homework to be done after that. And looking at what else has been happening today, well, obviously... It's hard to separate this day from everything else that's been happening over here in the the past five days. Obviously, it's been a massively busy week, and when I think about what's been happening over here, I think some of the most important discussions were obviously around climate change, some discussions about the future of aviation, the need to find more cooperation, and I think one of the most important things that that was heard over here was indeed the, the emphasising of cooperation and resilience, supply chains. Like, you know, we're seeing all these conflicts in the world at the moment, just to look at what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. We need to find ways to make supply chains more resilient so that we can exchange trades and ideas as we did before that com- uh, conflict and before the pandemic, for example.
2: There was also an interesting conversation that we picked up this morning from our show, which is you know, the question of Having a theme like cooperation in a fragmented world, there would have undoubtedly been a discussion about Russia's inclusion in this year's summit. And as we heard from uh, our guests and also from uh, a former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, that is a tough conversation that at some point needs to happen. And. The question is, who do you invite from Russia to be here? And if you do so, what does that say about the West's unity towards Ukraine that we've seen since this war started nearly 12 months ago? For me, that was one of the key things that came out of this morning's conversation uh, in terms of, you know, the, that pathway forward and exactly thinking about cooperation and what that does that mean in practice. Tom, I want to come to you next because, as listeners will know from having tuned into our coverage throughout the week, you've been assigned to the promenade, the public side of the forum that includes the open forum and all of the houses today the last day sadly we need to report it is the coldest day yet we arrived here at with minus 14 degrees celsius now it has gone to a warm minus nine Uh, how was your morning did you find warmth and hot coffee
4: Yeah, I did actually. I've been on the promenade all week. Some of the buildings let me in to warm up. Not all of them. I started my morning at Ukraine House, which has finally closed its doors, saying goodbye to the public and the dignitaries. They've had an incredibly successful week here. It was a place I was a little bit anxious about going into. There were lots of screens showing children playing in debris. I felt like the atmosphere was going to be quite depressing, but actually the opposite. There's a huge amount of optimism in there. They've sent so many delegates. I was at a session which had three of the biggest uh, cities represented by their mayors, and their discussion was looking ahead to 2023, the year of victory. And they've come here, and they've, we were talking about the importance of being here, having presence. Their presence has drawn in the Germans, the USA, the UK. They've renewed promises. They've promised tanks, they've promised more ammunition, and it's sessions like that that really makes Davos important and also quite optimistic.
2: Well, you mentioned there the that uh, drawing in factor that houses like Ukraine uh, can have, and many of them had here throughout the week. When I was in Ukraine House, which was just one of the days for a, a short interview, uh, uh, the head of state of Moldova was about to come in for a big session just because she decided to casually drop by. Nothing scheduled. And that, for me, is also the beauty of this summit, is the amount of people you end up bumping into that you are not expecting. And you strike up these conversations, and then suddenly you look down to name badge and you realise, oh, okay, this is who I've been speaking with and you've been doing a fair bit of, uh, not celebrity, but of A-lister spotting, haven't you, Marcus?
3: Well, I've been speaking to people. I'm I'm, I'm in the Congress Hall. I've been spending my week over over there and just checking out people's name badges because I realised quite early on that they all have done amazing things and they have amazing stories to tell. So I haven't spoken to many of those, but obviously I, I bumped into Guy Verhofstadt for example, when I was on my way to the bathroom for example which is a great example of how how close people get and how you know how actually everyone is mingling in the same space um i saw i saw who else did i see over here um i saw the ceo of nokia for example from finland i saw al gore the other day actually i think that was yesterday with amazing cowboy boots actually i have to emphasize he's got a nice style and 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 so many other names it's it's incredible
2: Well, you're forgetting about uh, our little encounter in the podcast booth, aren't you?
3: Of course. Thanks for reminding me. This is an example of how much there's been going on over here and how many famous faces we have seen. But sadly, we had to kick David Miliband out of our podcast booth only because the Financial Times journalists were taking him there. They were in the wrong booth and we just absolutely had to get to this one because we were doing a live radio show from there. But actually, I have to say that... Besides security staff over here who have been incredibly friendly, another happy face I've quite enjoyed has been David Miliband. He, he came across very nicely. He was such a friendly character.
2: Oh, yes, we need that to definitely to stress that despite uh, the mistake in uh, bookings uh, he was of course very gracious and understanding of the situation. Uh, Tom, it, when it comes to people looking out for uh, those big names, you also just by mere luck walking around the promenade ended up spotting the person that everyone had been waiting for yesterday we're talking of course about Greta Thunberg tell us about that encounter
4: Yeah, this is the benefit of hovering on the street corner all day. We were expecting Greta to arrive at some point. We've joked about the fact that we're 1,500 metres up a mountain. How on earth is she going to get up here without burning some serious fossil fuels? So we didn't know when she was going to arrive or what she was going to do here. She did finally, about Thursday lunchtime, arrive to host a session with Fatih Birol. She was with three others where they handed this open letter to oil companies Companies telling them to stop opening up new oil fields. She left that building after doing the press conference and completely on her own just started walking around the streets of Davos, which is where I cornered her with my microphone and got this world exclusive question. Greta, did you achieve what you wanted to do in Germany?
5: It's a very long struggle, so we don't. All we are trying to do is to do as much as we possibly can. Yeah, we will continue to fight to keep the carbon in the ground and for climate justice.
4: And do you know where you're heading to next? (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) As you can tell from her very strange answers, she had no idea where she was going or what she was doing next. She was actually being hounded by other people. However, today we saw her with about 10 activists holding banners, not making much of an impact here. This is an issue that there aren't massive train stations. It's very difficult to get here. Had she been elsewhere, we would have seen thousands of people. We would have seen the conversation of climate actually be forced into discussion here at Davos. But the location, the exclusivity of it all meant her impact here was quite muted.
2: Well, it's been quite an eventful past uh, five days, a packed week here from for the Monocle team in Davos we uh, covered of course all the big news headlines coming out of here but also you know after a very first tasty Monday we were curious about the suppliers here of the catering company, uh, Marcus we went down to meet the liquid chefs who are providing much of the food here uh, uh, in Davos, uh, we also were curious about how to manage a town uh, with this amount of snow and uh, we heard from the people People at the Institute for Research for Snow and Avalanches, also based here in Davos. So it's not just about the big economic headlines, the big global headlines. It's important as well to get that sense of what's happening on the ground. Uh, Just before we hand things back to London and to Andrew Muller, uh, we are going to head back to normal levels of altitude and uh, uh, warm up, uh, hopefully, a bit later this evening. Uh, Any final words, Marcus?
3: I mean, it's an amazing event, I have to say. Just final, final thoughts. I think it's... If people are questioning the need for an event like this, I think, I think it's necessary. I think that's my conclusion. We need this kind of events where people come together and discuss the issues. Despite all the criticism, it's still better than nothing.
2: And you, Tom?
4: When you say Succession and Davos do you have the slogan we hear for you or do you look at the succession battle that's about to take place with mr davos himself klaus schwab lots of businesses lots of his backers are very worried about his succession plan will they fund next year who knows
2: well we'll be here hopefully next year to bring you the update from the ground but for Mon- from Monaco's team here in davos that's it from us back to you in london andrew Thank
0: you, Carlotta. That was Carlotta Rebello, Mark Rossippi, and Tom Webb at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Now, as regular listeners to Monocle24 will certainly be aware, the last 11 months or so since Russia attacked Ukraine have provided the current and former politicians of the Baltic states with something of a we-told-you-so moment. The people of Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania have few illusions about the perils of living next door to Russia, which is why all three joined the EU and and NATO as swiftly as they could following the collapse of the USSR. Since last February, Ukraine has had no more determined supporters than its fellow former hostages of Moscow. Earlier, I was joined at Midori House by Rehards Coles, member of Latvia's parliament and chair of its foreign affairs committee. He was just back from Kiev. I began by asking him to describe the city after 11 months of war.
6: Of course, it wasn't my first trip since the 24th of February 2022. It was my second visit to Kiev, and the main reason for that was to show in person a solidarity to Ukrainian people, to Ukraine. And obviously Latvia is among the one top of supporters for Ukraine throughout these last, let's say, almost a year in providing all possible support. Just for a comparison, we have contributed already 1% from our GDP to support Ukraine financially, military, with humanitarian aid, and so on. So this trip was, since we have a new parliament, to show that we have a rock-solid stance at the political level in Latvia. There is unshakable support to Ukraine, both at the political level, but also within the general society as well, because, you know, people in Latvia, it's just admirable the support that there was, at some point, people were wondering that, you know, it might be the exhaustion of the war, and it's kind of fading away, but no, I mean, in Latvia, people are very much committed to support Ukraine, and there are individual initiatives as well, where there's no government involvement whatsoever. For example, there's a guy in Latvia who, since 24th of February, is sending vehicles, SUVs, to Ukraine. He's getting them across Latvia, either donated or or buying them, adopting them for the military needs, you know, painting and etc. So we call in Latvia the Twitter convoy. Uh, Last week, they actually sent a new convoy to Ukraine, delivering these SUVs, and that was the thousandth car they sent to Ukraine. So coming back to your original question on what is the feeling right now in Kiev, I would say that that was a very surreal experience that I had right now and on my second trip because we experienced the air sirens. It was a rocket launch from both Belarus and Russia. More than fifteen rockets were aimed at Kiev. Fortunately we weren't physically in Kiev at that time. We actually left and then a half an hour later, yes, the alarm sounded so we had to take the shelter as well. And coming back in the same day and evening to Kiev and to see that You know, you just experienced huge rocket attack on your capital, more than 10 rockets on critical infrastructure being destroyed. But in the same time, you see people going to the restaurant, having their dinner with the family, and that was something hard to really digest.
0: Latvia's own president, as you know, Egils Levitz, has said this week that Ukraine needs more support, it needs more weapons. You've correctly pointed out that certainly on a per capita level, Latvia is contributing an enormous amount for not only a small country, but a small country with a border with Russia. And it's occurred to me over the last 11 months more than once, we've spoken to a lot of current and former Baltic politicians, including Latvia's former Deputy Prime Minister, Artis Pabriks. It strikes me that still the Baltic states, Eastern Europe, the countries that were once held captive by the Soviet Union, still see this in a way that the rest of Western Europe doesn't quite. Do you think there is still a gulf of understanding that there's still a lack, a relative lack of urgency in Western Europe? The speaker of the Seamus Edvards of Smiltons, as you know, said last Mm -hmm. month, Ukraine is fighting for us as well. And he didn't just mean Latvia,
6: did he? He meant all of Europe. Absolutely. I mean, the gravity of the situation is sinking into the Western politicians more and more. I mean, the attempts to talk, you know, we should reach peace, the Ukraine needs to sit at the negotiation table and so on. At some point, yeah, there were attempts to push that kind of, you know, agenda. And, you know, we rightly said that we have no right whatsoever to do that, especially knowing that we, as Russia, you know, labels us Collective West, we failed Ukraine, actually. Since 2014, we were the mediators. Right with Minsk agreement, with Normandy format, and we failed. We failed with Russia full-scale invasion on 24th of February. That was the failure, and I don't think that you know Ukraine right now can trust. Oh well, the West will manage them to facilitate some you know talks. So right now, it's up to Ukraine to mm. decide if they're ready, on what conditions, and so on. If they're saying we're gonna fight on, the only thing we have to do is support 100 percent. This is not a time you can actually say, you know, we're neutral. Right now it's black and white. Just one other thing I wanted to pick up on, and it goes
0: back to what you were saying earlier about the resolve of Latvia's people to continue supporting Ukraine. Obviously, there's a difficulty or at least a challenge here for Latvia in that you have enormous ethnically Russian-speaking minority on top of which you've had that extra influx of Russian refugees. Have you noticed within Latvia a solidifying of Latvian identity as opposed to the sort of split
6: identity mm-hmm. Latvia's had since independence? Well, we don't have split identity. I mean, we have the minorities. Yes, that's Russian is not. There's a difference. Speak Russian is not necessarily means ethnic Russian. Absolutely. Um, So we have the Belarusian. We have Ukrainians who, at home, speak Russian language. But overall, what we see after 24 of February, we have announced, you know, zero tolerance towards warmongers and those who are propagating war. That is also on all levels within the society as well, zero tolerance to that. I mean, in any part of the world where you have considerable size of ethnic Russians, you have the uh, Russian chauvinists. You just told me before the air that you visited Australia. And if you recall that just after the 24th of February, there were protests. Indeed so. Exactly, by ethnic Russians who reside in Australia. So you will have these kind of people across the world, but not necessarily means that they are the in majority and they have the strongest voice. They're just loud, (laughs) still. I mean, the decision what we made in the last year was to get rid of all the Soviet monuments in Latvia. That was a controversial topic. Somebody, you know, from outside was saying, you know, you're just triggering some kind of aggression from the Russians, I mean, we, we, We've
0: noticed <clears throat> statues being a controversial topic in a lot of places the last couple of years.
6: Yes, but I mean, these are being set by occupational forces. Mm. Uh, you know, for 50 years Latvia was occupied and, you know, in the free Latvia, independent Latvia, after 30 years of restoring independence, it's just... It's not acceptable that in the heart of Latvia in Riga we have the huge monument that actually propagates the uh, occupational forces, the Soviet Army, Red Army, and particularly knowing that Putin's Russia is the you know holding the legacy of the Soviet Union and what we see, what Russia is conducting in Ukraine, a genocide against Ukrainian people, the actions that they do, the signature is exactly as the Soviet Army. So there is no difference between Soviet Red Army and the current Russian Federation Army as well. There are war criminals, and that is something that, you know, to tolerate that we still have the monument that is praising this army is unacceptable.
0: That was Rihard Kholz, uh, the Latvian Member of Parliament and Chair of its Foreign Relations Committee, speaking to me earlier. Moving seamlessly along on the Monocle Daily and much against the better judgment and vehement protests of its presenter, we are going to attempt to engage with popular culture. And tormenting me now in the studio are Monocle Senior Correspondent and Producer, Fernando Augusto Pacheco, and Monocle Studio Manager and Co-Producer of Monocle's Culture Show, Steph Chungu. Uh, Fernando, first of all, the thing we are going to discuss first is, all jokes aside, for you, what is pretty much literally the most exciting news imaginable, isn't it? It
7: is indeed and and actually I've been hearing the rumours since early January but I said, it can't be, you know, but it, it was actually and it happened. So Madonna is going on tour for the 12th time uh, and it's interesting because this one is different I think it'll be extra special for the fans because she's a little bit kind of she likes to play her new stuff she's not the mm-hmm. kind of person that goes on a greatest hits tour and I think for the first time she's saying, you know what, I'm going to give what the fans want. Uh, so I thought that was quite an interesting idea for her.
0: I I mean, I think it's not merely an interesting idea. I think it's a good one. I think there should be laws against playing the new stuff. Specifically, I think if an artist wants to play new stuff, fine, but that should be a second set after the stuff everybody actually bought their ticket to hear. But to be fair on her,
7: actually, that was something that I admired about that because Mm -hmm. especially acts, you know, especially 40 years of career, it's very rare to see one that is actually pushing for their new stuff. But I guess she's changing her mind, but she's a smart businesswoman. Because there will be a biopic from her as well. So I think she's saying, you know what, I have this amazing catalogue, I should do something about it. But I would expect that the next tour will be back to normal in a way.
0: We will get shortly to the smart businesswoman aspect of this, Fernando, because there is an amount of controversy over the ticketing. Uh, you already have tickets for at least two shows, Steph. Have you bought your tickets for Madonna? And if not, will you be?
5: Uh, I did try. I did. I was in the queue just to see, just to see <laughs> how much the prices were. I was a hundred and seventy-six thousandth in the queue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, knew, I need to cut off my losses then. Um, no i don't think i'll be planning on seeing madonna although it will be a huge tick off by people i need to see before i leave this earth list um but it's the issues with ticketing and pricing especially in this current climate of living uh, <laughs> with Ticketmaster now adapting the uh, so-called ticket surge uh, mm. I think that's been the issue that I've seen on social media from from fans especially Madonna fans because I know that the pre-sale was ridiculous um, if you don't know ticket surging is basically um, a concept adapted from US Ticketmaster where Ticketmaster will try to curb away from bots by raising the prices so high that it's practically impossible for bots to buy them and upsell them but The issue that they didn't realize is it's now becoming harder for actual music fans to purchase tickets for their favorite artists. Ergo, it must have been hectic trying to get Madonna tickets for the past two days. And
7: I've got to be honest here, on air, I have to say, one of the tickets I had to buy on a resale website, I mean, Mm -hmm. they're also very smart and, and, you know, you have to pay all sorts of fees. Of course, I don't agree with them, but what can I do? I mean, I wonder what, what should be the system in the future, because I agree about the high prices. Although, to be fair with Madonna, I mean... It's just worth it. I mean, <laughs> all the concerts that I've seen her. I mean, literally, she's a perfectionist, and and the sound, the, the sound is amazing. The costume, everything. But I do agree. It's a shame for the fans because I'm sure there are bots buying, uh, ten tickets and then reselling for for a very high
0: price. But if if I could just insert myself here, play acting as an Anne Randian headbanger, which. By general inclination, I'm not. Is it not the case that tickets only sell for high prices because people, perhaps such as yourself, Fernando, are in fact willing to pay them? Yes, I am part of the problem. I am part of the problem. <laughs> yes. I actually, I I have to agree with you, Andrew. That, 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 that really should be your new Twitter bio. Yes. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it might well be actually um, Steph what do you think do you feel as a fan somebody who wants to go to the show but is priced out sort of any less inclined to consume the works of the artist in question subsequently
5: no I don't think you have to see them on tour I mean myself I, if it was the same if, if it was like if it was Beyonce I would be like Fernando I do not care see? my whole life she's part yeah. of the problem too I am part of the problem but I, I, I admit that I admit that I am also part of the problem I will literally put my Life savings to see Beyonce and do Renaissance. At the same time, I don't feel like as a fan, you're losing out on seeing them on tour. Like, I've missed out so many people last Mm. year on tour because I can't afford it. I've missed out on what was it, uh, Kendrick Lamar's tour, Big Stepper's tour. Can't afford it. He was playing at O2 London. It was like selling for like what, 130 pounds? Ridiculous pricing. I'm not saying that, you know, like people paying so much money is ridiculous. I'm just saying, as a music fan, it's okay to miss out on a couple of tours. You know, you're not missing out. You know, there's there's still a community of people who can't mm-hmm. see them on tour, but still have like um, listening parties and 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 discussions and uh, huge platforms to talk about the album. I mean, I mean, I'm seeing her. I'm seeing her for an example. Beyoncé's Renaissance. We still don't have the visuals, by the way. It's been like what, six months? But, <laughs> but there's been so many communities and discussions and and relevance and and references from Renaissance. And you know, she will be going on tour this summer. And yes, I will be spending my whole life savings on it. But if if I if my life savings does not cover the tickets. I'll be fine missing out. I mean, I'll be crying and depressed and work will be sick of me for like three <laughs> months because I'll just be talking about the fact I missed out on Beyonce on tour. But I'll be fine with it in like well, three months, but I don't think as a music fan you have to see your favourite artist on tour.
0: Uh, Fernando, we are going to illustrate this discourse with a selection of actual music. Um, what have you chosen from Madonna's Oeuvre? Well, I chose from an album that in fact was the first time I saw
7: Madonna live in London in 2006 for her Confessions tour, which was magical. I was here learning English, but actually probably was more excited that I was going to see Madonna. And in fact, I remember she was recording the video for this song, or sorry, uh, Which was the second single from that album. It was in King's Cross, and I tried, you know, to see where she was filming, but actually I didn't manage to see it. But this is Hung Up, of course, by the wonderful Madonna.
0: As far as you're concerned, Fernando, does that one get bonus points for the ABBA sample?
7: Yes, of course. And let's be honest, <laughs> but they don't, they don't give give away their samples so easily. So clearly Madonna was really, I mean, they respect Madonna as well. And she makes pink collants look very beautiful and sexy as well. And,
0: and maybe she's having to run up the ticket prices to still to keep paying for the sample clearance for that one track. Exactly. Um there, there are other things going on in the realm of popular culture, which it says here we are going to discuss. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to get full-blown baffled high court judge here and pretend. I don't know who Miley Cyrus and Shakira are. I do know who they are. I just don't care. Um, But but, but first of all, uh, there there has been upheaval, uproar and contumely uh, in the lives of both. Um, Steph, first of all explain as concisely as possible why we're talking about Miley Cyrus.
5: Okay, So Miley Cyrus is back. Congratulations. Yay! yay. She's amazing. Uh, She has a new album out coming out in March. Her album artwork, I don't know if you've seen, Muller, it looks stunning. I
0: I haven't, it may shock you to learn.
5: Okay, well, you can Google it. Um, I could. It could, but she looks stunning. Uh, Her first single was released last week called Flowers. Now, this is a, how do we say, do we say revenge song or diss song? Would you say revenge or diss?
0: I think revenge.
7: Revenge is prettier. Alright.
0: There's another Twitter bio for you there, Fernando. (laughs)
5: Revenge is prettier, quoted by... (laughs) Okay, so it's a revenge song um, to her ex-husband, Liam Hemsworth. Um, It's very... It's a very disco track. It samples a very uh, popular Bruno Mars song, to which I have to ask, how does Bruno Mars feel being, like, the middleman in this situation? Because he must have given that sample away clearly, going, oh, yeah, it would be fine, and comes back going, why am I in it?
0: I I would think (laughs) when the check turns up, how Bruno Mars will feel will be delighted. Yeah,
5: he'll be content. But it's a very, like, nice, catchy pop song. Uh, She's literally swarming around, I think it's LA or somewhere, like this beautiful gold, I think it's Saint Laurent dress, Mm -hmm. and then she's in, like, this really, like, very fabulous house like doing the most ridiculous exercises i have ever seen she's actually exercising in her underwear she's making me like realize i actually need to go back to the gym because i (laughs) cannot do this in 2023 and she's literally strutting around in this in this amazing like men's suit and it's literally just it's literally sent like the social media into overdrive. There's Miley Cyrus fans coming back saying our Queen is back. There's new Miley Cyrus fans going, I haven't seen her since Hannah Montana, but I'm glad she's doing great. And then there's just people like me going, I have no idea what's going on. I just want to know how Bruno Mars is feeling at this moment in time. Uh, on,
0: On the subject, though, of having no idea what is going on, a genuine question. To enjoy the track, which we do have a clip of, which we shall play presently, do you think it is actually necessary to be invested in the surrounding Rounding mythology slash soap opera call it what you will or if you'd never heard it before and had literally no idea who this was do you think it stands up because i'm i'm genuinely never sure where i am on that myself because i'm aware that so much of the music i love does have all these these backstories and fables and myths a, a, attached to it Yeah,
5: you know, i think you have a point i don't think it would have a big impact if it wasn't tied to her you know, her personal life. Hmm. Because, you know, she has been, you know, she has written about her personal life in her other albums as well. I I think she wrote it in her last album, the punk rock album. Sorry, I literally can't remember what it is. But (laughs) I, I did read the Pitchfork review of it. They weren't... Um, they weren't positive about it um, I believe generic was there uh, floated around in there, it wasn't nice, it wasn't pretty um, but I don't think it would have had a lasting impact if it wasn't um, if she didn't make those tiny references to her personal life or if she actually did the um, throw, if she actually did the callback to Bruno Mars' um, song which she does sample in, so if you, when you do hear the song you will see that she's actually replying to Bruno Mars' song because apparently, I don't know if this is true uh, this was a song that Lee her ex husband dedicated to her, which I thought was very, very weird <coughs> and very concerning.
0: Uh, we do have a clip of it, we can hear it now.
5: I can buy
0: Fernando. Andrew,
7: if I may add, I mean, this song, it is a little bit of a revenge song, but I find it, it's very mild, it's about self-love. I do think anyone can identify, but I personally find that our next track, I think that's a bit more petty, but I love it more I, for I, it. I,
0: I, I do admire some pettiness.
7: I love some pettiness as well, <laughs> and, and I think if you're cheated on, I mean, that's what you should do, to write an amazing pop track that is going to be viewed by more than 150 million people in in seven days and i think that's what
0: shakira did i think she i mean it's a raw track it's very uh, yeah i i I am dimly aware fernando because you cannot over help overhearing things that get talked about in the (laughs) office that there is something to do with strawberry jam involved here if i have i recalled that correctly yes yes because you know
7: she knows that pique her Ex-husband and the kids—they don't eat jam. And 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 she arrived home, <laughs> and then the pot. Of, there was no jam in the pot, and she was like, "Of course, he's
0: cheating on me." So, do, I think, do we think we do we think she did that deliberately? Did she knowingly stake out as a sort of trap the jam? I wouldn't doubt it, and
7: very smart for her to do it as well. Mm. And to write this wonderful track, and by the way, Andrew, we're going to listen to this track. But it affected the market. The the the, the market. I think the shares. You know, because she does mention some certain brands. Like you traded me, uh, you traded a Rolex for a Casio. Uh, the Rolex shares they went up the next day, and the Casio ones they went down. So you know, she had this power, Shakira. And, and,
0: and we can only hope that Shakira had the foresight to short Casio stock the day before this was released. Um, we can hear a bit of that as well. Uh, Fernando, can you help us out with the translation? Is she basically there singing nobody else in this house eats jam. <laughs> well, probably
7: there will be a sequel for that. She doesn't mention that, but she does say women no longer cry, women get paid. And she even said that he should stop working out and actually should work his, you know, a little bit on the brain as well. So, I mean, it's really, that's a diss track. Actually, I changed my mind. Not Revenge. <laughs> that That's a diss track.
0: Uh, a final quick thought from you, Steph. Uh, do you approve of the Shakira track?
5: Listen, I thought I was petty, but Shakira made... <laughs> Shakira might, made... Have taken the biscuit, all strawberry jam, um, even. Um,
0: the two can go together. The two
5: can go together. Yeah, I have never. I, I literally just listened to the uh, to the track before we came in. I have never seen someone so. She was just so she was just enjoying it. She was just enjoying dragging him, and I, I believe that he did uh, end up like driving to training in a car, which was not his usual style, and was wearing a Casio watch. So maybe I don't know. Maybe he's helping Casio out a bit. I don't know.
0: Steph Changu and Fernando Augusto Bacheco, thank you for joining us. <laughs> That's all for this edition of the Monocle Daily. Today's show was produced by Lillian Fawcett and researched by Andre Nikolai Pamintuan. Our sound engineer was Callum McLean. Playing us out, David Crosby, who has died at the miraculous, all things considered, age of 81. His was an extraordinary and incalculably influential career across the birds, Crosby, Stills and Nash and or Young, and more collaborations and diversions than we'd have had time to list if we'd started at the top of today's show. This is from David Crosby's first solo album, 1971's If I Could Only Remember My Name. This is Laughing. I'm Andrew Muller here in London. The Daily returns at the same time on Monday. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. And I
6: thought...
7: mistake